0: We're starting a new series this morning called The Fellowship of Suffering. And the passage that we're going to use today is from Philippians chapter 3. It's on page 1,085. If you don't have a Bible, there's a blue one under your seat. And we believe that this is the word of God, that it is true, that that his promises, it does not come back empty. So out of reverence, if you're able to, would you stand for the reading of God's word? The righteousness from god that depends on faith that i may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death that by any means possible i may attain the resurrection from the dead this is the word of the lord you may have a seat
1: amen thank you brett good morning flourishing grace how are we okay all right okay Gonna be like that today, all right? Well, you have no idea because it's about to get even worse, um, friends. Uh, for those of you who are who are new, my name is Josh Knight. I'm the pastor of preaching and vision here at Flourishing Grace. Uh, it is it is good uh, to be with you this morning as we uh, start a, a new series uh, together. We are we're still in the Gospel of Mark. Um, we we'll just put that on pause for a moment. We're gonna pick it up in four weeks, and so. Uh, For the next few weeks, we're just going to kind of be sitting in this together, kind of getting our new year started off uh, on the right track, right? For many of us in the room, uh, maybe you're brand new, and the reason you are here is because you said... Man, this year is going to be the year that I take my faith more seriously. I met some folks last week who were here for that reason. They, they came on Sunday They I "Man, I'm looking for a church because this year I've made a resolution. I've made some uh, changes to some habits in my life. I'm going to take my faith more seriously. That's why I'm here this morning. And that's a a good thing. This is a good place to be. Everything that we do at Flourishing Grace, everything um, is designed around a singular mission to lead people into flourishing relationships with Jesus. That's our mission. That's what we want to see happen in your life. And so all the things that Brett was talking about a minute ago, from communities to path groups, from our nursery to the pulpit and everywhere in between, everything we do, everything that we've created and built, and anytime we change anything, it's to help lead you, and help you lead others into flourishing relationships with Jesus. That's what we want to see happen in your life. And the idea is, or the hope is, that if you stick around long enough, you actually invest in the things that we've created, and, uh, and, you, and they begin to foster an environment in your life where true, flourishing relationship with Jesus can happen. and you, You'll grow in that. And so this is a great place to be. And what we've, what we've come to realize as we've kind of thought through this idea of a relationship with Jesus, there there are certain um, requirements, there are certain things that are necessary for intimacy, right? There there are certain things that are uh, fundamental necessities uh, to intimacy with Jesus. And this is true of any relationship, right? Your relationship, if you're married, your relationship with your spouse. There, There are certain fundamental necessities to my relationship Uh, with my wife. Like, if we're going to have an intimate, genuine, solid marriage, there are certain fundamental necessities that that are going to have to be involved in our relationship, right? Communication is a fundamental necessity to a healthy marriage. You can be married and never talk, okay? But if you want a healthy marriage, a healthy relationship, communication might help, okay? Um, time, just quality time spent together. You can be married and kind of ignore each other, right? do your own thing, but if you want a healthy relationship, time is a fundamental necessity. So when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, what are the fundamental necessities to our relationship with Jesus? Some of these you can rattle off off the top of your head, right? Um, things like prayer, right? Prayer is a fundamental necessity to our relationship with Jesus. If you say, man, I've got this deep Robust, profound relationship with the God of the universe. And then you tell me that you never pray. I will tell you to your face, you're a liar. It's just not true. It doesn't work. You can know Jesus. You can have an intellectual understanding of Jesus. You can believe in Jesus. But you cannot have a deep relationship with Jesus without prayer. Okay, And the more you develop a life of prayer, the the greater that relationship is going to grow. Reading the Word, right? Being in the Word every single day is a fundamental necessity to intimacy with Jesus, right? Again, if you tell me you never read your Bible, but you have a relationship with Jesus, I'm like, no, you don't. You might know things about Him. You might believe in Him. But you do not have a flourishing relationship with Jesus without being in the Word every single day. It's just not possible. It's a fundamental necessity. And what what I want to do for the next few weeks is talk about one of these fundamental necessities. One that we, every day of our lives, run away from. Not just, I don't participate in it. I'm actively seeking to avoid it on a regular moment-by-moment basis. This is a problem, right? If you want a moment-by-moment relationship with Jesus, right, and yet moment-by-moment you are fleeing from, pushing away from a fundamental necessity to intimacy, that's a problem. So what is it? Clearly, naturally, suffering. Suffering is a fundamental necessity to intimacy with Jesus. Now, some of you are right out of the gate are like, hang on, whoa, 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 wait, wait, what? Suffering. How, how does suffering create? Intimacy. How is, that, how is that needed for intimacy? That doesn't make any sense, right? I'll give you, okay, Josh, yes, you got me, right? Prayer, okay, I hear you. I'm reading your Bible, okay, I know. I'll see I'm supposed to do. And maybe even take it to the extreme, and you can say, okay, sure. Things like silence and solitude and fasting and Sabbath. All right, I'll give you those. But suffering, where do you come up with this stuff? Well, I would say we come up with it from the Bible. In fact, suffering is one of the major themes of the New Testament. Not a minor theme. It's a major theme. It's a major theme that runs through the entire New Testament. This call to be one who suffers well and, and sees suffering and has a deep theology of suffering is a, it's a major theme of the New Testament. And, and yet it's something that is not a major theme of the church. It's not something you're going to hear a lot of people preach on. In fact, some of you came here today for the first time ever, and you're like, man, I am here because I've made these New Year's resolutions, and I've got these new habits, I'm going to read my Bible more, I'm going to pray more. And you're going to hear this, and you're going to say, I'm going to go find another church. right? Uh, I don't want to suffer. People are not in line, getting in line, lining up for suffering. Right? People are not like, that's the church I want to be a part of, right? When we hear sermons on suffering, it's on how to overcome suffering, how to find joy in suffering, right? Uh, how to avoid suffering, how to live a life free of suffering, right? That's what we want to hear sermons on. But over the next four weeks, I'm going to promote suffering as a way of entering into fellowship with, a relationship with Jesus, okay? Okay? Paul, Paul talks about it as entering into a fellowship of his sufferings. A relationship of his sufferings. A relationship built on suffering. This is what Paul has found in his life and has identified and seen in his life. And as I said, it's a theme that runs through the entire New Testament. A major theme in Acts Fourteen twenty-two. Paul says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom. We talk about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God all the time here at Flourishing Grace. If you want to attain it, you want to enter into it, it's going to come through a lot of suffering. It's going to come through a lot of suffering. Jesus says, man, they, they, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. In fact, he goes on to say, the, if the world hates you, you know that the world has hated me first. The world's going to hate you because they've hated me. Peter says, do not be surprised. Don't, don't be surprised by suffering at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. It's not a strange. You're a Christian. Suffering is part of your job. It's, just, it's, it's a part of it. You want to come after Christ? Don't be surprised by it. Paul says to Timothy, in 2 Timothy 3.12, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live Godly, in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. Every single one of them. All right, so there's two promises that I want you to see right out of the gate this morning, okay? Two promises. Number one is that if that's true of you, you say, man, this year is going to be the year that I create new habits and form uh, new resolutions and I take my faith seriously and I'm going to grow nearer to Jesus this year than I ever have before in my life, I'm going to take seriously the call to love my neighbor. I'm going to engage in, in the caring for the poor and the marginalized and the downtrodden. And this year is going to be the year where I, I lean into my neighborhood and I take seriously the call to pray for one. I'm going to engage in the lives of my neighbors for the sake of the gospel and the lives of my coworkers for the sake of the gospel. The lives of the, the kids in my, in my kids' school for the sake of the gospel. I'm going to push back the kingdom of darkness in Davis County and I'm going to, I'm going to be a part of building up the kingdom of light. Here's the promise. If any of that increases in your life, so will suffering. That's not me promising that. The Bible promises that. But here's the second promise. That through our suffering, if we learn to suffer well, if we utilize it for our spiritual growth, if we enter in, if we learn how to enter into a fellowship of sufferings with Jesus... Suffering will draw you nearer to him and make you more like him than any other resolution or any other habit you might form in your life. There is nothing There is nothing like a fellowship of sufferings that will transform you in, in, in that way. There's nothing else that, that, can, that can make you more like Jesus and bring you nearer to him than a fellowship of his sufferings that's what I want to kind of show you this morning and over the next few weeks talk about man practically what does this look like how do we engage in this and so we're not gonna we're not really this is not really a series on suffering we're not working to build a theology of suffering we're talking about how does suffering increase our relationship with Jesus a fellowship of a relationship of built on built in the sufferings of Christ and our suffering so this morning, we're going to look at three things. We're going to answer three questions, kind of high level. And then, as I said, we'll get more practical in the coming weeks. Number one, what is suffering? Right? What is it? Just, at at face value, this is not a question that we often think about, but what is suffering? Paul's going to answer that for us this morning. Number two, how does entering into suffering draw us closer to Christ? I don't understand. Like, that doesn't make sense, right? How, how does me suffering... Make me more like Jesus, and how does it draw me closer to Jesus? How does it build my relationship with Jesus, right? How does that work? And then lastly, how do we enter into a fellowship of sufferings? What does it practically look like for me to do this well, okay? How do we enter into a fellowship of sufferings? And I know right out of the gate, this is not the way that we would think would be the right way to start a New Year's sermon, right, series, right, suffering, but I think for, for, for those of us who will lean in, we're going to find that there's so many opportunities in our day and so many opportunities this year to grow closer to Christ, opportunities that we run away from all the time and we just ignore and move on and move past constantly. And my hope is that if you can learn to identify them and see them and learn how to engage in those with Christ and turn them for your good, your spiritual good, Learn how to draw nearer to Christ become more like Christ through them. This could be one of the greatest years of formation that you've ever experienced in your life. So the first question that we want to answer is, what is suffering? What is it? It's like, at at its most basic level, what is suffering? I think Paul actually gives us the answer to the question in the text. Look look at verse 7 if you're following along. I'll throw up here on the screen in case you uh, don't have a Bible, but you should you do have a bible there's a blue one underneath the series that you're sitting in Brett said that earlier um, anyways verse 7 but whatever gain i had i counted it as what as what loss for the sake of christ indeed i count everything as what loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing christ my lord for his sake i have suffered the there it is again loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ. Paul is, um, (coughs) sorry, Paul is, um, he just listed, read it for us earlier, Paul listed all of these first century uh, Israelite accolades, all the things that would have made any Jewish mama in the first century proud. Like, Paul has achieved them. He's done it. Paul has accomplished all of the things that w- would make his mom proud. He is a, what he says, a Hebrew of Hebrews, okay? He, he's, he's checked off all the boxes. He's done all the things that you would, that you would think that you should do and want to do uh, in a first century Israelite context and culture, okay? And Paul comes to this place where he says, man, I've counted it all. I've measured it all up. And I've lost it all. I counted all as loss. I've suffered the loss of all things. What is suffering? It's loss. Suffering is loss. In fact, all suffering, all sufferings loss. Think about it, right? There's some, there's some big, easy examples, right? The loss of a loved one. OK? That's an easy example, right? That's suffering. And it's a loss. You've lost a loved one. They've died. They're no longer with you, right? The loss of a loved one. The loss of a job. loss of a job brings suffering, right? And so I'm suffering because I lost my job. The loss of your health, right? You were were physically able to do something, but but now you've got this ailment. You've got this disease. You've got this problem, right? The loss of health is suffering. But then there's some things that are underneath the surface, and we don't quite see them all the time, but it's this... The loss of hope. The loss of the ability to do something that you used to be able to do and now you can't do anymore. The loss of a part of your identity, this thing that defines you and you're proud of that thing and now you've you've lost it. All suffering is loss. You might say, well, what about like depression and anxiety? What about these big things that we deal with? and That's real suffering. How is that loss? It's simple. Right? Depression is simply the loss of happiness and joy. And anxiety is simply the loss of peace. Physical pain, like actual physical pain, you cut your finger or there's or, or something, some major accident and you're in tons of physical pain. Right? It's just a loss of comfort. All suffering is loss. Every bit of it is loss. It's what suffering is. And Paul is seeing this. and He's counting these, measuring it. And the reality is we, we, rather than observing this and knowing this and, and counting it and measuring it, we just run away from it, right? I, I do not want to engage in any form of loss. In fact, you have orchestrated your days without even knowing it, without even thinking this through. You are constantly moving through life in a way that avoids all loss. The reason you do the things you do is to avoid any, any form of loss in your life. The reason you shop at the stores you shop, the reason you go to the places you go, the reason you do the things you do, it's to avoid loss, to alleviate, to, to, to dodge suffering in your life. And when you do begin to experience some form or some level of suffering, right, the first thing we do is just cut it off, like sever it and move on. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to engage in it. I don't want to talk about it. Let's just, let's just get rid of it and move on as fast as we can. Let's move on to something better. And let's continue to tell ourselves that the future is going to be better. The future is going to be better. So let's just cut it off and move on to the future because the future is going to be better. 2020, worst year ever right it's like and we all are like that was that was miserable and so at the end of 2020 we're like all right let's just cut it off and move on like 2021 this is gonna be the year we got vacations planned we got fun things we're gonna do all these things and then you get into he's like this is awful it's still bad it's still bad we're like all right we're gonna wipe the wipe the dust of 2020 off my shoes and let's move into 2022 2022, this is going to be the year. And already, like, we're back in here and half of got masks on. or like we're like, what is happening? Right? It doesn't get better. We just keep convincing ourselves that the future is going to be better. Cut it off and move on. Run away from it. Run away from it. Let's not talk about it. Let's just move on to the next thing. The next thing is going to be better. At all times, we're constantly running away from and seeking to prevent every level of loss. But not Paul. That's not what he does. He's counted it up. He's identified it. He's measured it. And he said, "Men, I'm going to lose it all for the sake of something greater. I'm going to lose it all for the sake of something greater." What if rather than fear, uh, fleeing from suffering, we could identify it? What, what if rather than just saying, "Okay, ah, forget that thing ah, let's just move on." We could actually say, "Oh, what just happened? We could define it. What is suffering? loss. Okay, so so in this minute, in this moment, I'm experiencing emotions. I'm experiencing maybe the emotion of anger, maybe the emotion of sorrow, maybe pain, or regret. I'm suffering, an emotion of suffering. And so often that's where our thoughts, our intellect stops. We never actually define it, right? This thing happened to me, this is how I feel, moving on. What if instead we said, okay, stop. What have I lost? What am I losing? What if we could actually begin to define the things that we're losing? In the moment, just simply knowing that suffering is lost is a huge tool. Being able to identify this and say, in the moment. When when in the moment your boss comes in at 4.50 on Friday and dumps this huge project on you and you're like, God, right? In that moment, right? What if you could stop for a moment? And instead of saying, I'm angry, I'm ticked, I'm frustrated, right? You say, what have, what have I lost? Then I've lost freedom. I'm supposed to be out of here for the weekend in like 10 minutes. Instead, I'm going to, to stay late and finish this thing. I've lost time. I have things that I want to do. I've lost hopes. I had these hopes for my weekend that are not going to come true anymore. I've lost a measure of my dignity, right? My boss, my boss doesn't value my time, okay? I've lost it. What if we could actually count those things and begin to understand what we're losing? We could begin to identify what suffering actually is. How might this help us grow? Paul knows exactly what he's losing. He's counted it as loss. And he knows exactly what gain is, right? Galatians 2.20, Paul says, And for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul views his death as the the total sum gain. And every opportunity, every every small death we die along the way is an opportunity to gain, to turn our suffering, to use it for our gain. I, I I don't mean financial gain or any other, I'm talking about spiritual gain. It's an opportunity. Suffering is an opportunity to grow in Christ's likeness and to grow in intimacy with Christ. It's not something to be avoided at all cost. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor and a theologian uh, in Nazi-occupied Germany. He's a hero of our faith. Um, and he spoke out against the actions of the Nazis uh, and, and was involved in an assassination plot on Adolf Hitler. And because of all of this, he was thrown into prison and eventually died in a Nazi concentration camp. And when he is in prison, he writes a letter to, he wrote a lot of letters, but he wrote a letter to his fiance. And in this letter, he's talking about his pain and his suffering, and he quotes um, this Austrian guy named, by the name of Albert Stifter. And Bonhoeffer writes this to his, to his fiance. He says, pain is a holy angel who shows us treasures that would otherwise remain forever hidden. Through him, him being pain, through him men and women have become greater than through all the joys of the world. That's the quote from Stifter. I'm gonna read it again. Because it's just, you gotta, you gotta grasp this. He says, pain is a holy angel who shows us treasures that would otherwise remain forever hidden. Through him, men and women have become greater than through all the joys of the world. What a view of pain and suffering. Bonhoeffer goes on to write to his fiance. He says, it must be so. And I tell myself this in my present situation over and over again. The pain of suffering and of longing, which can often be felt even physically, must be there. And we cannot and need not talk it away. Bonhoeffer says, I I don't need to just run away from this. It needs to be there. There's something better there. I I don't need to just like explain it away and kind of intellectually deal with it and just move on with my life. Bonhoeffer says, there's something great here. There's a greater treasure here. There's a greater treasure in my Nazi concentration camp than there is on a beach in paradise. There's greater treasure for me in Christ in a Nazi concentration camp than there is on a beach in Fiji. Now ask yourself for a moment, do you think that's true? If you're honest, if I'm honest, most of us in the room would say, no, I do not. Nobody's lining up. If there's like, all right, half the room's going to Noxie concentration camp, the other half's going to the room's going to Fiji, which half of the room are you gonna to go to? Okay? I'm telling you, Fiji. All right. Listen, reach Fiji, reach the world, okay? That's my missionary plan of attack. Um, someday. Uh, listen. We don't think it's true. But for my, my older brothers and sisters, my, my my brothers and sisters in Christ who have gray heads of hair and you've been at this for a long time you know it's true have not the sweetest moments of intimacy with Christ in your life been your darkest has your greatest hours of suffering been your greatest moments of transformation in your life mary and kay the true No. You know what I'm talking about? The darkest hours for the Christian, and only for the Christian, are the ones where we're being transformed and refined. Peter talks about this idea of the refining fire shaped into Christ's likeness. Our darkest hours are our hours of greatest transformation and greatest intimacy with Christ. So, how, next question, how does entering into suffering? Draw us closer to Christ. How does it work? right? How is this possible? Okay, If suffering is all loss, how does losing and losing and losing create in me any form of gain? How am I being transformed into Christ? How am I being drawn closer to Christ in the midst of my suffering? Paul, I think, again, gives us the answer in the text. Look at verse 7 and 8. Actually, let's read 7 through the end. Look, Look at it real quick. Paul says, I've lost my spot. Seven. But whatever gain I had, I count it all as loss. Why? For the sake of Christ. That's why. Indeed, I count everything as lost because, why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For, for what? For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order. Why? In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not even a righteousness of my own that comes to the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may, why? That I may know him. And the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may, why? I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul is demonstrating this, this very idea to us in this text, that he has taken all of these things that he's gained, and he says, man, I'll count it all as lost. Not the emotions of it, but the actual things that he's losing, stack it up, list it out. I count it all as loss. Remove it, I, I'll suffer it all, I'll suffer the loss of all things for the sake of gaining Christ. Paul sees there's a link between his suffering the loss and the gaining of Christ. John Piper, who's a pastor in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, speaking of this text, writes this. He says, in other words, what sustains Paul in his suffering the loss of all things is the confidence that in his, in his losing precious things in the world, he is gaining something more precious. Christ. As the things of the world slips through our grasp, we are able to cling all the more tightly to Christ. As we lose our grasp on all these lesser things, our hands are able to close tighter and tighter on Christ. And not only that, not only that, we are able to identify in our suffering, we are able to enter into a relationship of suffering because we can identify with the one who has suffered more than any other one. Christ has suffered more than anyone else. Some of you say, uh, that doesn't, no, 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 no. There are people who have suffered far more than, even than Christ, people who have been born and in, in, in absolute agony and chronic pain their entire life, people who have, who have suffered and grown up in, in, this, in the, the absolute slums, and the darkest of places, people who have been uh, trafficked, and people who have, who have endured all sorts of atrocities. There are people who have suffered more than Christ. That's not true, though. It's not true. If, think about it, if suffering is lost, if all suffering is lost, who's lost more than Christ? You see, you and I, we have this expression, right? we got nothing to lose. And so we'll go do this thing, whatever it is, right? Well, should we do it or not? I don't know. we got nothing to lose. Let's just do it. Christ had everything to lose. Everything. All, all power, all authority, all majesty, all glory, all of heaven, all of it. He had it all to lose. And he willingly counted it all as loss in order to enter in For you, into into your suffering, into your brokenness. He counted it all as loss to move towards you, to enter into your suffering. To die in your place. To cover you by his blood. And in doing so, now he invites you to enter into his suffering. To join him in a fellowship of his sufferings. I love how the great prince of preachers writes of this. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, who was a, uh, the greatest preacher probably who has ever lived, <clears throat> in the 1800s, Spurgeon says this. He says, Most believers, most Christians, rest perfectly at ease with knowing Christ's sacrifice. Intellectually, right? Intellectually, I comprehend what Christ did on the cross. They see Jesus as the great high priest laying a great sacrifice upon the altar for their sins. And with their whole heart, they accept his atonement by faith they know that all their sin is taken away by precious blood. This is the most blessed and hollow attainment I will grant you. Right, uh, Spurgeon is saying, Man, when you come to that knowledge of what Christ has done and achieved and accomplished on the cross, that is the most blessed, the most hollowed thing that you could intellectually ever attain in your life. He says, I'll grant you that, but... But it is not every Christian who perceives that Christ is not only the offerer of the sacrifice, but was himself the sacrifice. And therefore loves him as such. Priest, altar, victim, everything Christ was. He gathers up all in himself. And when we see that he loved me and gave himself for me, It is not enough to know this fact. I want to know him, the glorious person who does and is all this. I want to know him. I want to know the man who, who thus gave himself for me. I want to behold the lamb once slain for me. I want to rest upon the bosom which covers the heart which was pierced with a spear. I pray him to kiss me with the kisses of the mouth which cried, Aloy, Aloy, Lema Sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I love Calvary, the scene of woe, but I love Christ better, the great object of that agony, and even his cross, and all his sufferings, dear though these must ever be to the Christian mind, only occupying a second place, the first seat is for himself, his person, his deity, and his humanity. Spurgeon says, yes, yes, we can know intellectually of what Christ has done for us. But if you actually want to know him, you must enter into a fellowship of his sufferings. You must know him in his sufferings. Jesus' life was a life of suffering from his birth to his death, being born in a manger Laden cow manure and straw on the run for his life as a little boy all the way up into his death on the cross his life is marked by suffering if you want to know him you must enter into a fellowship of his sufferings I love Job, Job the great sufferer. Job was a man of faith a man who had faith in God and he says this in Job 42.5 he says I heard of you by the hearing of the ear. I knew you. I knew of you. I I knew things about you. Job was a devout man of faith. But through his suffering, through his deep suffering, something changes. He says, but now my eye sees you. Job knew God. He knew God. He had heard things about God. He was a devout man of faith. But through his suffering, he comes to actually... No, God, I know you. He knows the person of God through suffering and through suffering alone. As we wade into suffering, as we wade into loss, we come to a place where we find the most precious thing we've ever had, Christ. And Christ will never be taken away. He will never be suffered. We'll never suffer Christ. We'll never lose him. Christ, our suffering Savior, who can identify with us in our suffering is with us in our suffering and will never leave us or forsake us. Suffering, for the Christian and only for the Christian, draws us nearer to Christ. When we enter into suffering well, it makes us more like Christ, helps us to cling to Christ, increases our dependency on Christ, our love for Christ, our understanding of Christ. And this is how entering into suffering draws us closer to Christ. That's the question we're trying to answer. That's how it does it. Now, how do we do that, right? Last thing, how do we do this? How, how, how do we enter into a fellowship of his sufferings? Practically, what does that look like, okay? Now, this is what we're actually going to spend the next three weeks together looking at, okay? Answering this question. But I want to just kind of give you a taste this morning, kind of have a high-level overview how do we enter into a fellowship of the sufferings what does that actually look like to enter into a fellowship of sufferings first things first let's be really clear on something i don't want you to misunderstand something we are not masochistic okay we're not looking for a way uh to to create suffering okay if at the end of this sermon we go out into the lobby and there are grown men out there saying hey punch me in the face because i want to be more like jesus Okay, you've missed it, all right? It would be awesome, okay? You can do that. Uh, just make sure that I'm there to see it. But you've missed it. That's not the point, okay? We don't, we don't want to create suffering, okay? We are we, people who want to enter into the suffering. Listen, the world is broken enough as it is. There's enough suffering in the world as it is. You don't need to go make more of it, okay? You're going to find plenty in your day. We want to be people who can identify it, know what it is, and enter into it. Only the Christian can experience the full power of the resurrection through suffering. This is what Paul's after, right? This is what he's talking about in the passage. He doesn't want suffering. He's not looking for suffering. He's not saying, man, I want to suffer, I want to suffer, I want to suffer. No, no, no. He's saying, I want Christ. I want more of Christ. I want to experience the power of his resurrection. I, I want to know him. I want to be more like him. And Paul identifies that suffering is the thing that is going to produce this in his life. How is suffering going to produce the power of the resurrection in Paul's life? Paul Miller uh, is, a, is a Christian uh, author. And he, he wrote a book called The J-Curve. We're going to talk more about this in the coming weeks. Um, and this is really... Uh, is where this whole sermon series come, comes, comes from. Uh, some of our staff read through the J-curve last year, and we're like, man, nobody's preaching that. Uh, so we're going to do it. Uh, come what may, we're going we're to do it. Um, we'll talk more about it next week, but it's this idea, coming from this very passage and, and a few other passages that we'll point out in the coming weeks, is that when the Christian suffers, it's unlike anyone else. And, and it's not, I shouldn't say when the Christian suffers. I should say when the Christian suffers rightly. Because most of us in the room, I said earlier, we're fleeing from suffering. We're running from suffering, right? Our, our journey of suffering looks like this, right? We start here, and we suffer, and we run away from it. And we suffer more, and we run away from it. we suffer more, and we run away from it. we suffer more, and we run away from it. And our whole life is this downward stepping, uh, downward, being driven, driven downward because of suffering. Because we're not suffering well. But Christ invites us to experience suffering in a t- completely different way. Where we go... This j idea where we go down into suffering, right? But here in our suffering, we, speak, we learn to suffer rightly. We enter into a fellowship of his sufferings. And as we do so, we don't just go down into suffering, but we experience the power of his resurrection. What does this look like? Let's say, for example, your, your boss comes in. I used a boss illustration earlier. I'm going to beat up on bosses today. Uh, your boss comes in and accuses you. You, you've dropped the ball. You've created a massive financial error. You've cost the company so much money. I can't believe you've done this. Look what you've done. This is horrible. And the whole time, it wasn't you. It was somebody else in the company. And you know who it was. And you know what they did. And you know that you, it wasn't your fault. And, and so we can, we, can, we can suffer in different ways, right? We can feel the anger. We can feel the despair. We can feel the discouragement. We can feel the unjustness of the situation. And we can, we, can, we can lash out back at our boss. You don't know what you're talking about, you idiot. You have no idea what's going on. You haven't even looked. We can lash out at the person who did it. It's all their fault. Don't you see what they did? Look at this. And we can move on with our life. Sever it. Move on. Run away from it. Or we can enter into a fellowship of his sufferings. We can ask the question, what? What am I losing right now? What am I actually losing? I'm losing the respect of my boss. Maybe the respect of uh, my fellow coworkers. I'm unjustly feeling um, attacked. I'm losing my sense of safety in my job. I might lose my job over this. I'm losing safety, I'm losing comfort. Maybe I'm going to even lose financially because of this. Losing money. What am I losing here? What am I losing? We can assess those things. I'm losing happiness, joy. And then we can join Christ in a fellowship of his sufferings. We can look at Christ and say, is there a time in his life where he lost the respect of others? When he was spat on, cursed, mocked. Is there a time in Christ's life where he lost happiness, when he suffered in agony and sorrow, when he wept in pain? Is there a time in his life where he suffered loss, where things were removed from him unjustly? We can join him there in a fellowship of of his suffering. We can fix our eyes on our suffering Savior, King. We can ask the question, man, how did Jesus respond in that moment? And we can bear the cross for our boss and for our fellow employees. And we can respond differently. We can help to fix the situation. We can work hard to make it right. And we can join Christ, not just in his death and his suffering, but in his resurrection. And for those who live out this life of J-curve suffering, entering into a fellowship of sufferings, our, our, our trajectory is not this. It's, it's J-curve. We suffer and we go up. We suffer and we go up. We suffer and we go up. We're actually rising through our suffering, becoming more like Christ in our suffering, joining with him in suffering, and, and, and drawing closer to him in our suffering. And over the next few weeks, we're going to see, there's, there's a myriad of things that cause us to suffer and a myriad of different ways that we can experience this and see this. And I'm going to draw those out for you over the next few weeks. And how do we actually engage in them? But for this week, all I want you to do is learn to see, I want you to see that during your average day, there are so many opportunities for you to actually practice this. That you don't even, right now you you can't even wrap your mind around There's some big ones, right? There's some big things that you can easily identify, but then there's some small things that you never even notice. So what I want you to do, when you came in, hopefully somebody gave you a uh, pad of post-it notes. If not, there's a table out there. There's a bunch of them on the table. You can grab them on your way out. Um, What I'd love for you to do this week is as you go through your day, you probably can't carry this around with you everywhere you go. Uh, So maybe you should use your phone. Uh, you You can write it down on your phone. But every time you experience a negative emotion, right, somebody cuts you off in traffic and it's anger. Uh, your kid says something that they shouldn't say, uh, and, it's, and it's anger or disappointment or whatever it is, your kid's being terrible, um, your, your boss, your employee, your coworker, whatever. Every time you experience a negative emotion, you fail, you mess up, right? You feel hopeless, you feel like you've let somebody else down, you feel sorrow, okay? Every single time, I want you to write it down, okay? And some of these are going to be easy, right? Uh, The the big blow-up argument with your spouse, it's an easy negative emotion. Uh, Somebody, uh, your boss dumps this huge uh, project on you, and it's creating all kinds of anxiety. It's it's an easy one. But there's small ones that go unnoticed, the little moments of hopelessness, the little moments of failure, the little moments of identity is being chipped away at, write them down. And then learn to ask the question, what was I actually losing? So what was the thing that happened, and what was I actually losing? Not what was I feeling, what was I actually losing? And I want you to stick them someplace, on a wall or a mirror, whatever. So you got got Sunday, you got a column for Monday, you got a column for Tuesday, call column for Wednesday, all the way down through the week. I want you to see how many opportunities you have in your day to enter into a fellowship of his sufferings. Little ones and big ones, constantly, all around us, opportunities to grow nearer to Jesus and become more like Jesus. It's constant. It's constant throughout our day. The world is filled with these opportunities. And what does it look like for us to identify them and to begin over the next few weeks to learn how to actually live into them, to join Christ there in a fellowship of his sufferings? All right, last, last thing. Some of you in the room, I know, when we talk about suffering, I said earlier, this is not really a a sermon series on suffering. That's not our hope. That's not where we're going with this. Uh, It's really about a sermon series on on growing in Christ. Um, But when we talk about suffering, for some of you in the room, you have suffered in ways that most of us, including myself, cannot even begin to wrap our minds around. You you have suffered... atrocities and pain at a level that is unimaginable for most people. And for you this morning, I, I want to, to just point out real quick, before we, before we go, that all of human history, all of humanity is one giant J-curve. The whole thing. From, from the Garden of Eden, when we first began this downward march into suffering, when suffering first entered into the world, When Adam and Eve rebelled against God, we begin to move into suffering. All the way down to the the pit of the greatest act of suffering ever. When the God of all things chose to forsake all things and to step into your suffering. The bottom of the curve. And now has resurrected a new life and has begun the process of restoring and reweaving the fabric of creation. There's a day coming at the top of this curve everything sad will be undone. All of it. There's this scene in uh, The Lord of the Rings in the, in, the, in the final book, The Return of the King, uh, where Tolkien right, Tolkien writes um, this epic tale and, and in the tale there's multiple Christ figures, these people who are supposed to point us towards and remind us of Christ. Um, in, in the final book, the final scene, the return of the king, um, it is this 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 tale of the of the second coming of Christ. And one of those Christ figures in in the book is Gandalf, right? And Gandalf, when he first meet Gandalf early in the story, is Gandalf the Grey. And Gandalf dies. He falls. He's pulled into this crazy fiery pit by this crazy monster. He's pulled into the pit, and his friends see him die. And then at the very end of this epic tale Gandalf returns and when his friends see him for the first time he's coming in riding all white on a white horse with his bright light pushing back the powers of darkness and now his friends uh, Sam and Frodo don't know that Gandalf has returned yet right Uh, they're they're busy throwing the the ring into the fires of Mount Doom and for those of you who are like wait what right He's like, don't, no talking, get out, alright, you know, nope. get out, get, get out. Um, they, they don't know Gandalf's alive yet. Their, their best friend is gone, he's dead. And when they're reunited, right, Sam, Sam says this, he says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. And he asks this question. Is everything sad going to come untrue? All these things that he thought were lost forever are now no longer lost. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf. And then he laughed. And the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter The pure sound of merriment for days upon days without count. What Tolkien is doing in this moment is he's pointing us to to this idea of suffering and sorrow. He's saying you have no idea how bad it actually is. There's a day coming when you actually come to the realization of what true joy is. Where everything sad is undone. And in that moment, laughter is going to be richer than any laughter you've ever heard. And merriment's going to be more merry than any merriment you've ever had. It'll be unlike anything else at the return of our king. He's drawing on this idea from Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 16-17, where Paul says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, J-curve inwardly we're being renewed. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what you're suffering. I don't know what you're going to suffer. But if you learn to enter into a fellowship of Christ's sufferings, the outer self might waste away But the inner self is being renewed day by day and our life is not a downward spiral into suffering but an upward call of Christ into joy and delight as we march towards that final day when everything sad will become untrue because of the work of Christ on the cross for you and me. Let me pray for you guys. Jesus, we come before you. And in this, in this kind of heavy topic, I pray that we would see the silver lining, that we would see that even in our suffering, even in the, the negative things of our existence, there are myriads of opportunities to draw near to you, to be shaped and molded into your image, to actually gain spiritually from our loss in this world. And that we would come to the realization over the next few weeks that these things, no matter how great or small, they're all light and momentary in comparison to the eternal joy that awaits us. The eternal weight of glory that you've prepared for us. And so I pray that as we learn to enter into a fellowship of your sufferings, that you would give us small little pictures, these little momentary glimpses of the power of your resurrection, these little momentary glimpses of the eternal weight of glory you've prepared for us, and that we'd more eagerly and more eagerly and more eagerly each and every single day, as we have these treasures and sorrow are unearthed, that we'd long all the more for nearness to you. Would you draw us near to you through suffering, in your sweet name, in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, church. Let's stand and let's sing the gospel over one another one last time before we leave. Let's declare the work that Jesus has done over us so that we can be a people who look forward to that day together. Let's sing.